Aren't you thankful that love came down? Praise God. Everyone standing for the reading of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1. Please turn in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. I just want to remind you that during this season of the year, don't fail to be a part of Sunday school. We had a great crowd in Sunday school this morning. I believe in Sunday school. Our church believes in Sunday school. And we want you to be a part each and every Sunday morning at 945 and I challenge everyone to be present. I love the children's demeanor and attitude around Christmas and as they look at Christmas and uh, just watching the children. Nobody presents Christmas any better than the kids. Amen? And so these tickets, you have five tickets given to you, and I want everybody to distribute these tickets this week. I want you to proactively find five people that need to be in God's house, and I want you to work on them. And uh, there are four events, certainly we've got a whole month full of events, but we highlighted four, and the first is this Wednesday night, the second is the Women's Christmas Celebration Friday night, and then Isaiah's Hope is the adult production. Listen, I still believe in these productions, I believe they're important. I was reading an article in a Christian, well-known Christian magazine this week, it's talking about all the churches that have stopped doing their Christmas productions, and now the theme parks have picked up on it. And they enumerated four major theme parks in America that are doing major Christmas presentations. And I thought, this thing is backwards. The church needs to be pulling out all its stops this time of year, and we need to celebrate what we believe in. Amen. And I'm telling you, Isaiah's Hope is going to be one of the best Christmas productions you have ever seen. From the aerial silks to, I mean, we put all kind of stuff in it this year. It's going to be a powerful presentation and then the Christmas Eve candlelight service, uh, we have rented real snow machines. It's going to snow in Jacksonville in this sanctuary. There's going to be a whiteout, but there's a theme and there's a message and all that's going to happen. Amen. It's going to be powerful. We're going to get people saved this holiday season. Amen. We're going to get them to Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. I had not planned to preach this last and final part of the message series, The Breath of God. But while I, I planned to start my December faith series this morning, and over a week ago while I was studying, I, I came back across my notes and realized there's still something God wants to exhale. He's, I can promise you on the prophetic calendar, he's not finished exhaling. I'm going to show you some things. And what I had written in some notes, I felt the Holy Ghost say, you need to share that this morning. And so hold on, amen. Genesis chapter 1, 
Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You were, me, were, you were created in the image of God, after his likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. I was quoting that scripture to God this week in a setting. Amen. So God, when I was hunting, amen, I was sitting in a tree stand, it was 29 degrees, and I opened, got my phone out and pulled out that scripture, and I said, God, you gave me dominion over all these animals out here. So I said, animal, come here. Amen. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. There it is again. Have dominion and subdue. And have dominion over all the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now go down to chapter 2, verse 7. God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. The Hebrew word is ruach. It means he exhaled into man's nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. You were created with a physical body, a soul, and a spirit. At the funeral service, memorial service for uh, Linda Griggs yesterday, and we celebrated uh, the fact that the, the body still remains here, but the soul and spirit have departed into an eternal existence, which is a very real existence. She is enjoying heaven right now, awaiting the resurrection of a body. Amen? But we became a living soul, and then God planted man in the garden and told him to work that garden. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open. God blew into man's nostrils and he became a living creation. We were created in the likeness and the image of God to subdue, to have dominion. And we were planted in a garden. And God told man to work and serve in that garden. Everyone needs to get planted. And you need to find a place of service. You need to find a place of ministry. A place where you can uh, be productive for the work of the Lord. And man was given the authority to even name the animals. That chicken, Adam called him a chicken, amen. So that when you eat some good fried chicken, remember the name came because Adam had the delegated authority to name that animal, amen. And he was given the ability and the authority to have dominion. God breathed, as we saw in the scriptures, even upon money in Haggai chapter 1. And God can make money multiply, God can make financial blessings come, or as in Haggai chapter 1, when the people were not obeying God, he breathed, it literally means he exhaled on their money, and their money was as it was in bags with holes. Remember that? Job 27 verse 3 says, While my breath is in me, the Spirit of the Lord God is in my nostrils. I'm telling you, the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation talk about God being in our nostrils, God breathing into us, God exhaling, and all kinds of thoughts uh, come forth from the breath of God. We saw Jesus breathing on his disciples. Remember when he breathed on his disciples and, and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He breathed into his disciples and upon them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. He breathed at a tomb one day. And he spoke and called Lazarus by name and said, Lazarus, come forth. I'm telling you, as I said that Sunday morning, if he had not named him by name, all of the dead would have arose. Amen? Man was given the ability to exhale. The prophets exhaled. The prophets spoke forth and exhaled uh, the word of God. Jesus spoke and exhaled the word of God. The Bible says, thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established unto thee. Talking about our ability to exhale and declare. We talked about last Sunday, Thanksgiving. It's a time to remind every person that we have been singly blessed of God, that the favor of God has been upon us and upon our nation. 
And we ought to say praise God. Amen? God has blessed America. God has blessed Jacksonville. God has blessed Evangel Temple. But we talked about last Sunday, the pilgrims, how did they started the first Thanksgiving in America. And I want you to watch this because we've got some things to tie together here. I believe there's a spiritual convergence that is happening. And it's all coming together right now. But the pilgrims started the very first Thanksgiving in America. There were times of hardship that first winter. Half of the pilgrims died during that first winter. But we explored that and we looked at that. But Governor Bradford, after the first major harvest time, that fall harvest, he stood up and declared it's time to give praise and thanks to God. And he organized the very first Thanksgiving in the fall of 1621. And it was to honor God because God had seen them through that first year with all of the difficulty, with all of the hardship, with all of the circumstances. And now a productive harvest had taken place and it was the fall of the year and Governor Bradford said we're going to have festivities but first we're going to worship and we're going to honor God. I think everybody needs to stand and you need to raise your hands right now and if you've been blessed this fall, I want you to give praise to the Lord. Come on. Come on. Give praise to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. For the Lord is good. His mercy endureth to all generations. To this generation, we have been blessed. You may be seated, but hold on. Biblical thanksgiving did not begin with the pilgrims. Biblical thanksgiving began with the feast in the Old Testament called Tabernacles. If you study it out and read your history, I believe the pilgrims, Governor Bradford, were influenced by the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles. The Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles was at the end of the harvest cycle. The people were not given a choice. They were commanded of God to worship God because he had been good to them and to give thanks. When you study out tabernacles, you realize the importance of that. It was at the end of the harvest cycle in the fall. And they as a nation were to pause and to give God praise. And I believe it influenced the very first Thanksgiving in America. But it was rooted in the Old Testament with a feast. Somebody say amen. The biblical Thanksgiving of the Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus 23 and in the book of Numbers... There were four things that the people were commanded to do. They had no option, no choice. How many would like to serve God where he says you have no choice, you're to do one, two, three, four? That's the way it was. He didn't give them an option. He said these four things you must do to observe tabernacles. Number one, they were to observe the day called Sabbath, the day of worship. I'm telling you with our thanksgiving, I hope that the only... A uh, spiritual thing was not just praying over that bird. Amen. Amen. I hope that we did what the pilgrims did. When they sighted the new land, they had the whole boat stand and they read Psalms 100 about the goodness of God. I'm telling you, there's a day of worship that needs to be associated and you're in the house of God this Thanksgiving weekend. Amen. And so what you're doing, I believe, is very important, friends. We are fulfilling a true thanksgiving, spiritual thanksgiving. We are honoring God because we know where our blessings have come from. Amen? Number one, they had to honor the Sabbath and their day of worship. Number two, they were commanded. It was not a choice. They were to rejoice before the Lord. I just wish God would send a telegram or an email to every believer in 2013 on December the 1st and demand today you will praise me. You will rejoice before me. Do you know it was not optional under tabernacles? Under the Feast of Tabernacles, you were ordained, you were commanded, rejoice before the Lord. I want you to stand one more time and we're going to rejoice. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Rejoice in the goodness of God. Rejoice that you're still able to be here to rejoice. 
had it not been for the Lord who was on your side. I'm telling you, we can rejoice because God is faithful to his word. Mm. Hallelujah! You may be seated. Number three, they were to re-emphasize God's provision of deliverance. They were to live in a booth, to make a homemade booth for eight days. They had to sleep. I encourage you last Sunday uh, to take a night and go sleep on the back patio. Amen. Everybody go get a sleeping bag this week and sleep on the concrete one night. And when you get back to your bed, the next night you will be thankful. Amen. You will remember how many love your bed. You like to sleep in your bed. Amen. How many have your own pillow? I'm telling you, everywhere we go, my wife's got to take her pillow. She would leave me rather than forget her pillow. Amen. We like our pillow. We like our bed. But you know what had to happen every year? And there's an important spiritual lesson here. We all need to go live outside and sleep on the concrete one night so that we will be thankful for what God has brought us from and what God has brought us to. And they were to live under a booth for eight days and be reminded that God had brought them out of Egypt. I'm telling you, there ought to be some people this morning that thank God that you're not the same person you used to be. That he saved your soul. He brought you out of darkness. He brought you into the light. He has delivered you from the gates and the very pit of hell. I'm telling you, we are not where we used to be. We were in Egypt. And then he took us through the 40 years of wilderness wandering. Amen? Times of hardship, times of testing, but God took us through. But do you know there's a prophetic side to tabernacles? A lot of people miss this. Tabernacles is also pointing to the future deliverance. I'm gonna, we're going to exhale. I'm going to show you that future deliverance because God exhales in the scripture what that future deliverance is all about. But number four, the commandments they had to obey under tabernacles. Everybody, 100%, had to bring a Thanksgiving offering. Now, I have asked every person in this room, and I want you right now to pick up that envelope, and I want you to prepare $1, $2, $5, whatever. The amount is not Important. I'm telling you as your pastor, the amount is not important. I'm putting $300. God has blessed me, but I don't expect more than a dollar, two dollars from anybody else. Whatever God tells you to do, just I want 100% participation because the people were commanded. We're going to bring this and lay it on the altar in a minute. You're going to see, you're going to see something happen spiritually. But everybody had to bring a Thanksgiving offering. They had no choice in the matter. They had to bring an offering. I studied in the Bible this week about the widow's might. The widow's might in today's economy is just under $2. And so her giving, as Jesus watched the giving, was a very small amount. But Jesus noted her giving. So every giving is important. But I want there to be 100% participation in a few minutes. But watch this. We're in Jerusalem a few weeks ago with a group from our church. And my wife says, I want one of those original widow's mites from the time of Christ, I can wear it on a necklace. I had to pay $40 for that widow's mite. I thought the thing's not even worth $2. I'm telling you, it's not the amount of money, but it's the obedience that the people brought a thankful offering to the Lord. And I want you to prepare at some level, if it's $5, $10, whatever, I want you to prepare a Thanksgiving offering because we're going to tie this together. Hanukkah and Thanksgiving came together, and I want everybody to watch this. For the first time, actually the second time in American history, but the first time since 1888. The last time Hanukkah and Thanksgiving came together, it was 1888. The next time will be in 2070, and watch this. The next time after that is 75,000 years down the line. This is a very rare occurrence, and I want you to watch what's happening because I believe there's a spiritual convergence taking place right now. Hanukkah is a very important Jewish festival, and I have studied, I've got a stack of study papers that thick on my desk right now. I have been reading and perusing over, you know, if, if it's so important that these two come together, and this is the second time in our American history that this has happened, 
I said, God, maybe there's something here we need to pick up on. Maybe there's something we need to see. And so I began to look at Hanukkah, and Hanukkah goes back to 165 B.C., before the time of Christ. Hanukkah is about when the Syrian army had overthrown Judah, the Seleucid Empire, the Syrian army was in control under the monarch. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes III was the one leading. His son took the throne. Antiochus Epiphanes IV took the throne and came into Jerusalem. He desecrated Jerusalem. He desecrated and defiled the temple. One of the worst things that could happen he took pigs and burned them on the altar of God as a means of the utmost sacrilege. He burned and sacrificed pigs on the altar of God and it was the utmost attestment to uh, the very nature of God and he was dedicating them to the Greek god Zeus. I'm telling you, something rose up in a high priest by the name of Matthias. And that high priest was an elderly high priest, but he had five sons. And those five sons, the firstborn, his name was Judah. How I many knows what Judah means? Praise. You're about to get something here. Under his dad, they realized the Syrian army had gone too far, had desecrated and defiled the house of God. And so something rose up within them that they didn't have an army, but they began to assemble a ragtag group of people that believed that God wanted his house back. God wanted his worship back. God wanted the defilement out of the house of God. And they stood up and started, started battling a well-trained uh, and, and outranked army, the Syrian army. And conflict after conflict, read it in history, over three and a half years, they began to break the back of the Syrians until finally uh, Judah, the firstborn son, leads this group of those that revolted, it's called the Maccabean Revolt because their last name was Maccabees, Judah Maccabee. He was also called Judah the Hammer because he was defending the honor of God and the house of God. And he took those people in there and they took back the temple of their God. Amen. And threw out all the idolatry, threw it out. They had to tear down the altar because it had been desecrated. And Judah led the men in rebuilding a new altar whereupon sacrifices to a holy God would be made. And then they remade the vessels of honor and the vessels of worship for the house of God. I'm telling you, friends, there needs to arise some Judah Maccabees in this hour that will say we've had enough defilement in the house of God. We've had enough going on, and the church has not been the church. There have been things that have been brought in, and we're looking too much like the world and not acting too much, not acting enough like our God. That's what Hanukkah is all about because Judah stood up and God wrought miracles if a man or a woman is willing to stand up and preach the unadulterated truth of God's word. I believe God will be on your side and heaven will be on your side. And so came the festival of lights, but the miracles didn't stop. Judah, the hammer, Maccabee, instituted this festival known as the festival of lights or Hanukkah. And it was to be an eight-day celebration. And they began to scourge over the temple that had been desecrated as they were re-honoring it for the Lord. And they were to, trying to find oil for the menorah. The oil had to be sanctified by the high priest. And all of the sanctified oil would have a, have a seal from the high priest. And they could find no oil. They kept, they kept looking and searching. And finally they found one small cruise of oil. It had the seal still on it. It had not been defiled. I'm telling you, little is much when God is in it. You offer to God a sanctified life. You offer to God a life that's been set apart and sealed by the Holy Ghost in your life. I'm telling you, great and mighty things can be accomplished. They lit that menorah on the first day. And all of history and historians declare there was only enough oil for one day. And then the lamp would go out. But part of the miracle of Hanukkah was the fact that that oil burned for eight days. 
I'm telling you, if we can get the Holy Ghost back in the house of God, if we can get the oil of the Spirit flowing back in the church, God can take some intercessors. God can take some people that are serious about the things of God and restoring worship to the house of God, restoring the presence of God to His house. I'm telling you, Jim Rayleigh stood in this pulpit last Sunday night and he preached something and I wrote it down the moment he did. It was a prophetic word about what's happening today. There are all kinds of places across America that have the name of the Lord, but they do not have the presence of the Lord. And it's time we get the presence of God back in the house of God. It's time we light the lamp with the oil of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, Hanukkah and Thanksgiving came together. Thanksgiving, I honestly believe, wrapped in tabernacles and came from tabernacles, but it doesn't stop there. The word predicts that in the last days there would be signs in the heavens above. Blood and fire, vapor of smoke, the sun, moon, and stars. Read John Hagee's book. If not, watch your news this week. I've watched it all week long and I've gone to the internet day after day, time after time each day to watch the comet. They say every astronomer in the world has been watching this week. The eyes of the wisest of men have been watching the heavens yet once again centuries later as a star blazed across the horizon. They say it is the comet of the century. That's what it's been named, the comet of the hundred year century. And every astronomer from all over Russia, all over uh, Europe, and uh, it cites all the places that every astronomer has been watching the heavens this week. And Thursday afternoon on Thanksgiving Day, on Hanukkah's first day, that star passed by the sun. Every astronomer expected that to be the death blow of that blazing trail of light. They say the light that was emanating was so incredible. That's why it's called the comet of a century. And yet, it looks like, and I've been watching, I keep Googling this and going to these new sites because I'm watching to see what happens. But you know, they named this thing ISON, I-S-O-N. And what really caught my attention was about 15 years ago, I put together a nonprofit. We got it registered with the state. We got our nonprofit status, and it was to help with disaster relief. And while I was praying, Lord, give me a, a name for this particular nonprofit because we want to help in these third world countries when there's been disasters. And I've used it out in the business community, and people have helped fund this and help us do some things out in the business community as far as funding to help the needy and less fortunate during times of disaster. But we named it ISON, I-S-O-N. And it's been in place for over 15 years, registered with the state of Florida. So when I saw the comet was named, I said, okay, he got my attention. And I've been watching that comet to see if it fizzles and burns. And it's come out the other side of the sun, which nobody, everybody predicted it wouldn't. A much smaller, but still a ray of light. I'm telling you, there was a time centuries ago when the light that pierced the darkness it says in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, that a day spring hath visited us, a sun rising, a light in the sky. There is a convergence taking place right here at the end of November 2013. I believe we're getting ready for the Son of God to break through eastern skies and eastern clouds and return for His people. I believe there's a spiritual exhaling going on. God exhaled on Pentecost, and I don't have time to get in that, but the breath of God, and I can show you this, the breath of God created a breeze of God that blew on the upper room and all in the house. I was going to cite you a recent article in Charisma this month, December 2013, where the non-Pentecostals have labeled us, labeled us as the last vomit from hell. I want to tell you, you better be careful what you call the Holy Ghost and the move and work of God, Spirit. That, that is a dangerous thing. And point number three. I want everybody to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Don't grieve the Holy Ghost. Don't quench the Holy Ghost. And certainly don't do despite to the Holy Ghost. I welcome the Holy Ghost. I treasure the move of the Spirit. 
preached this past Wednesday night, it's the anointing that breaks yoke. You'll come a, there'll come a time in your life you need, you need a yoke broken. You can counsel that thing to death and it'll never break off of you. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about counseling. We need counseling. We need Celebrate Recovery. That's one of the greatest ministries, helping so many people on Thursday nights around here. There comes a time you need the power of the Holy Ghost to shed some light on the way. Amen. And to break off some chains. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have already passed or fallen asleep, that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I'm talking about God is about to exhale. God is about to breathe. What do you do when you shout? You've got to release some energy. You've got to release some breath. Amen. I used to play a trumpet in high school. And you, to play that trumpet, you had to exhale. You had to blow through that mouthpiece. And you had to put a lot of pressure of breath coming from the diaphragm. They taught us to use our diaphragm. I want to tell you, God is about to release a shout from heaven. He is about to shout so loud that the graves are going to open up and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And Paul says, wherefore comfort one another with these words and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But look at verse 16. The Lord is going to shout. The archangel is going to exhale. It says the voice of the archangel. And with the trump, the shofar of God. Jason, stand up and blow that shofar. I want you to give us a blast on that shofar if you got it with you. Come on. There is coming the trump of God. This is not the seven trumpets of Revelation, but there is a sound of a trumpet that's going to awaken the dead. And the voice of the archangel, all of this is exhaling. I'm talking about heaven exhaling. But I want you to go to Revelation chapter 1. I want to close because there's some things, very important things I want you to catch hold of here. Because God is not finished exhaling or breathing. Revelation chapter 1. Now I don't have time to go back to Joel chapter 2. But it says God is about to utter his voice. Utter his voice. That means he's going to breathe and speak forth. And the nations will fall. His fire will consume his enemies. But I want you to look at Revelation chapter 1. In the midst, verse 13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, girt about with the paps, of a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice. What happens when he utters his voice? Joel chapter 2 says that the armies will be defeated. The armies will be overcome with the breath of God, the fire of God. His voice as the sound of many waters. How many have ever been out at the beach when, when the, the waves are clashing? Maybe you've been up on the New England coastline when those waves are crashing against the rocks. There are times that it is so voluminous. It is the sound of many waters. The volume and the sound that is taking place. His voice, when he utters his voice. And the first thing that, that John says that he, he says here, he says, fear not. When he utters his voice, he says, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Amen? Now go to Revelation 19 because God's going to open his mouth and the voice of God is, the voice of the Lord is going to come forth in Revelation 19. Look at verse 13 of Revelation 19. Or verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. 
and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth. Friends, I'm telling you, from Genesis to Revelation, when the mouth of God opens, things begin to happen. Life begins to come forth. God can decree cataclysmic things to the armies that will be amassed. We stood at Megiddo a few weeks ago. And there is one of Israel's pride bases. And the base is so mammoth, so large. Most of it is underground. But it is so large that their fleet of airplanes, their airplanes can be fully airborne and in formation underground and come out like hornets. But I'm telling you, God doesn't say that at Megiddo, at the Battle of Armageddon, I'm going to need a flight of planes or a fleet of planes. God is about to open his mouth. It says Jesus will open his mouth and out of his mouth will proceed a sharp sword. Does he need a physical sword? He's not depending on a sword as we know it. What he is going to utter, he's going to speak forth the word of God. And at the power of that anointed word, the armies that have amassed themselves against Israel and against God Almighty will begin to pale. What happened when Jesus breathed in the garden when they were trying to arrest him and they, those, those uh, soldiers fell back? I'm telling you, when God utters his voice, Joel chapter 2, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 19, when God utters his voice and opens his mouth, I'm telling you, the armies that have amassed themselves and come against Israel, they're going to fall back. They're going to fall down. They're going to be, con in fact, it says they will be consumed with the brightness of his coming. Don't you ever count God out of the picture. He is not finished with this world. And he certainly not stopped opening his mouth. He is going to utter his voice yet once again. And the nations will tremble. God is concerned about the salvation of every nation, of every person. But those nations that will not surrender, they're going to come because he so orders it. I want everybody to stand. Because we're about to tie this together. After the tribulation, Jesus is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords to set up his millennial kingdom. And he will exhale during that millennial reign. Amen. The law will go forth out of Jerusalem. Right now we decide which laws we're going to obey and which laws we're not going to obey. Some of you are disobeying the laws that say no texting while driving. Pastor, you could have stopped right there. Some of you are disobeying the law of God that you ought to walk pure and holy and undefiled, unspotted by this present world. I'm telling you, he's coming back. And he's coming back for a bride without spot, without wrinkle, without any such thing, not blemished by this world. You've been allowing the devil to seduce you, the devil to deceive you. And God wants a Judah, the hammer, Maccabee, to stand up and preach the holy word of God that he does not want a defiled temple. He wants a pure and holy people. Without holiness, no man shall see God. I believe all this convergence that is taking place is spelling, friends, that the final hour is hastening. The final hour is coming. It is near that Jesus is about to return. That first star in the heavens that caught the wise men and they followed that star to Bethlehem. I'm telling you, the wise men of the world have been following eyes on the comet and watching that vapor trail. And it's beginning to emerge from now behind the sun. You're dealing with with conditions that are so mammoth, it's hard for our finite minds to understand. They, they were talking about it being so close to the sun, what was a million miles away. That's hard to understand, but that's close to the sun. You burn up. The heat at that, at that distance is like 10,000 degrees still. I'm telling you, friends, God is still God. 
And my Bible says that in Genesis, he opened his mouth and he spoke into being these worlds, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created man in his likeness and told man to arise, to subdue, and have dominion over the creation. To have the authority delegated. That's why Jesus, when he left, he gave us authority. He was reminding us what Satan stole in the garden. I'm giving you authority. Jesus is coming back. The house of God is being restored as a house of worship. The intercessors, and I want everybody to get your offering, your Thanksgiving offering, whatever that represents. And I'm serious, if it's just $5, if it's the widow's mite, I'm serious, that's important. Because it's not the size of the offering, it's an act of faith that we're about to do. Judah restored the worship. You know, tabernacles is one of the few offerings. There were several offerings that were sweet savor offerings. And God smelled the offering and he said, that's sweet. I studied it. I read it again this week. He said, that's sweet in my nostrils. When he exhales, when he blows out his nostrils, I want him to say, that's sweet. That's pure incense. That's worship. I'm telling you, we're rebuilding. We led the intercessors last night, and it was a good group, good, strong Saturday night prayer meeting. We went through all these buildings, rededicating the house of the Lord. This is not a place of defilement. This is a place where the holy God is going to be worshipped. Where we honor God, and we worship God in spirit and in truth. And I want every worshiper, I want you to come bring an offering. And I want you to lay it on this altar. These are man-made altars, but you know what? Judah had to make a man-made altar. But God sanctified it with his presence. And they began to sacrifice on that altar. And God was appeased. And he caused miracles to begin to happen. I believe what we do on this first day of December is going to set the tone for the rest of this month. And I promise you, it's not the amount, it's the obedient heart. I want you to come bring an offering of thanksgiving. Come on. Worship team, lead us. I want to be one of the first here. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention Sing it, worship. Jesus, your name is they rejoiced. They worshiped. The living water, such a marvelous mystery. Holy, Create, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Once you've laid your sacrifice of thanksgiving, you to just lift your hands, find a place where you can worship. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything come on, come on. and I will adore you. Holy, holy, holy. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We give thanks. You've been good to us this fall. Slip your hands up and worship the Lord. Come on. All across this room, watching right now, in your living room, lift up your hands to the Lord. You're a part of this thanksgiving unto God. Holiness unto the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord.
Come on, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now I want everybody to hold steady. Sister, share. Both of these are admonitions from the Lord, I believe. Here. Go ahead. Everybody slip it. God just spoke to us. Both of those were important utterances. Amen. Come on, everybody slip your hands up and worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Come on, worship the Lord.
seed for the churches across America that not just the buildings but the people's lives that we be holy habitations of his presence 1st John chapter 3 verse 8 he that committeth sin that means he that habitually regularly practice sin is of the devil we have got to get the sin out of the house of God so that the glory will be restored Judah Maccabee needs to stand up in this hour. And we're getting the defilement out of the temple, even out of our personal lives. And I want everybody this be a personal surrender, but I want us to pray over the churches of America right now. Come on, slip your hands up, and let's pray over the churches of America. Father, visit the churches. Oh, God, raise up some Maccabean children. Oh, God, some brothers, five brothers that, Lord, will preach across this nation, holiness unto the God sanctified lives dedicated lives oh lord oh god let your glory be restored father as we rebuild the altar as we remake the the vessels of worship oh god father as we reapply in our own personal lives but then corporately we pray over the churches of america father the things that we have entertained the things that we have bought into oh god uh, that has replaced your presence replaced the glory Lord, visit your church yet once again in this hour. Come to the churches of America. Breathe and exhale upon the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God.